0: Hi, and welcome to Experience Points by University XP. On Experience Points, we explore different ways we can learn from games. I'm your host, Dave Ang, from Gamespace Learning by University XP. Find out more by going to universityxp.com. On today's episode, we'll answer the question, what makes a good rulebook? Rulebooks are often one of the first things that players turn to after they've decided to play your game. Players turn to this as a guide, the rules, and a structure that will shape their experience. Often designers think about rulebooks at the very end of their design process. However, the ability to write clear, concise, and actionable rules is more challenging than you may think. This episode will review game rulebooks in depth. It will cover the purpose of your rulebook, striking a balance in your structure, and the process of writing and revising the rulebook. The structure of the rulebook will be covered from different sections, including statistical information, components, theme, overview, setup, core loop, and game end. The way that you organize the contents of this rulebook is important for shaping the player experience. Your voice and how you write your rulebook is as important as testing it out with your players. Finally, edge cases, applications of rulebooks and game space learning and action steps for writing your own rulebook will be covered in detail. Rulebooks are where your players begin. Someone has decided to play your game, so they turn to your rulebook as their starting point. It's important to remember that your player wants to play your game they are not interested in reading your rulebook. The rulebook is just a necessary step in order for them to achieve their end goal. Unfortunately, this means that often your rulebook has to serve different purposes. For new players, it has to explain everything about your game and how to begin playing it. For more advanced players, it needs to remind them how to play your game, or at least how your game plays similar to others in its genre. Game designers can be notorious for writing less than stellar rulebooks, particularly if they get completely engrossed in their own project. This means that they can no longer look at the game objectively as a project that has changed and evolved over time. However, the rulebook is important. It's perhaps the most important in getting players over the hurdle of playing their first game. A badly written, incorrectly worded, or poorly organized rulebook might force some players to put the game right back on the shelf. This is all the more important when a game hasn't been published yet. Your rulebook should walk even the most seasoned gamer through the steps necessary to set up and begin playing your game. This is especially critical when pitching your game to publishers. That's because your rulebook represents how your game works in your absence. This means that creating a great rulebook is a true balancing act. You have to provide all of the information that is necessary for a player to pick up and begin playing your game. Yet you also can't throw in everything about the game in any order. This is the point where designers will often get caught up. They are unsure when or if to provide information in a particular order for the player. Usually a valuable time is spent nitpicking the details of just a few examples in the rulebook. Instead, designers should spend their time addressing larger systemic issues regarding the rulebook contents and organization. Designers must also approach the rulebook as a work in progress, even after it has been published. Getting feedback from consumers, players, publishers, and other designers is critical. This feedback helps you rewrite and recreate the structure of the rulebook to best serve the end user the players. That's because while your rulebook may already be in the hands of players, it's still possible to publish digital addendums, edits, and updates that originate from your gaming community. Writing a rulebook is hard. You'll never get it right the first time. Because of that, it's important that you keep writing, changing, revising, and reorganizing your rulebook throughout your design process. So where should you start? A good starting point is assuming the player knows nothing about your game. However, it is good to assume that players have played other games before, they just haven't played your game before. This reinforces the fact that your players will need to be able to easily pick up and begin setting up and playing your game. Your rules therefore need to be understandable and organized. However, you don't want your rulebook to be too long as it could provide the player with too much information without the correct context. Likewise, you also want to avoid a rulebook that is too short and doesn't address the most common player questions. Writing the rulebook also means organizing as you go. This requires you to chunk and compartmentalize information for players when they need to know it and in the recommended dose. For instance, it's good to have a section in a rulebook for different actions a player can take during a turn. A subsection could address movement and then the types of movement that a player can perform. Additionally, you want to include consistent and defined language throughout your rulebook. If you identify goods as commodities in the game, don't call them products later on. Developing a vocabulary for game terms is important for rule books because each time you pick up one, it's like learning a language for the first time. You may already know the difference between nouns and verbs from another language, but you need to learn how to recognize nouns and verbs in this language. Rulebooks are important for conveying the most relevant information to your players in the correct order, quantity, and context. In order to do this, the following areas of rulebook organization are presented in order in which they should be provided to players. Statistical Information, Components, Theme, Brief Overview, Setup, Core Loop, and Game End. These individual sections will be provided in order with descriptions for what should be included. Let's start with Statistical Information. Statistical Information is some of the most basic but often missing information from the first few pages of a rulebook. Sure, the information is often printed on the side of the box. However, it's best to also list this info on the inside of the rulebook as some of the first information that a player will see. The most important information to list here are the title, designer, number of players, suggested age, and average length of the game. It's important to list this information here because players may review a rulebook without the rest of the game components present. So it's useful to provide information redundancy in your rulebook. In addition, potential publishers may request a review of your rulebook prior to seeing your game. Providing this statistical information here is important in that context. Components are the physical assets included in tabletop games. They can include decks of cards, tokens, pawns, boards, and dice. Components should be listed next, ideally with pictures of what the finished components look like in the game, as well as the quantity provided in the box. This list is important for setting the vocabulary and terms for your game. If you call a piece a meeple in the rulebook, but the game calls them soldiers, then you already have a disconnect between the components the players see and how they will be referenced later on. One of my favorite games that makes mention of all of this and more at the very beginning is Montana. After Components, you should next dive very briefly into the theme of your game. Are we medieval knights? Are we pirates of the Caribbean? Are we searching for lost treasure under the ocean or perhaps exploring planets in outer space? Answering these questions provides very brief insight into what the game is about and who the players are from a thematic standpoint. While not known for its theme, Azul does provide some insight in the very first paragraph of the rulebook. This informs players who they are and what they are accomplishing through gameplay. The rulebook should then include a brief overview of what the gameplay is and what players do to succeed and win. This could be different if you are playing a competitive ortho game versus a cooperative idio game. Regardless of the type of game, the section provides great insight and connection between the theme and the setup for the game. For competitive games, the designer should identify what is necessary to end the game and win. This could be the first to reach a certain number of points, the first to finish a specific track, being the last player left standing, or having the most number of resources after a set amount of time. No Thanks is a game that provides this information right at the beginning. For cooperative games, the designer should identify what players need to do in order to succeed against the game whether that is to achieve a specific objective in a set amount of time, reduce the hit points of a non-player character, NPC to zero, or resolve a scenario. Pandemic provides this information in its brief overview. The setup of the game should be covered next in the rulebook. This includes identifying which components need to come out first and in what order. Many rulebooks already include identifying the game board and placing it in the center of the table so that all players can see it. It's also important to note which components need to go where and in which order. Specific resources that aren't used later in the game can be left until later. Other components like money or player pieces should be identified first if they will be used throughout the duration of the game. Ideally, designers should include a visual reminder and layout of the setup of the game with references to specific steps and text in your description. Doing this provides an overall complete picture of what a setup game should look like for players. It also provides a quick visual reference that everything is exactly where it's supposed to be. Gugong provides an excellent example of the visual setup process and accounting of common and player components throughout the setup. The core loop of the game is what gives and provides players feedback during gameplay. The core loop is what players will do repeatedly and concurrently as they play your game. This is made up of the different actions that players can do or take each turn, round, phase, or stage of your game. The core loop is the main formal structure of your game and what players do at each one of those stages. It's helpful to demonstrate and show players how these structures are formatted. For example, many games include a turn structure in which players take turns in clockwise order. Once all players have taken their turn, a new round begins. Once three rounds have been completed, then a stage is over. Once you've played two stages, one phase is over. Once you've completed two phases, then the game is over and you score everyone's points. Assuming that your players will understand how these structures work is a simple mistake that can be avoided by explaining how these are nested and formatted in your game. Endeavor HSL does a great job at describing and breaking down what players do on each one of their turns and identifies what happens at the completion of a phase. All games must come to an end, and this is the section that includes how your game ends. This could be after a set number of turns, rounds, stages, or phases. It could also end with one player left alive. It could also be a race to a certain number of points. Games could also end when one or several players achieve a particular objective. Identifying how your game ends is one of parts of this section. Another part is identifying how players score or tally their points, objectives, monies, resources, etc. at the end. Making sure that you explain how the different achievements translate into points is important for determining a winner for your game. King Domino takes this scoring into account at the appropriate section of its rulebook. In addition, explaining how particular scenarios are decided is important. The most common scenario is how ties are broken and resolved. Make sure those procedures are outlined in this section. Rulebooks must serve many different purposes. In addition, they must be accessible, searchable, and readable by players. That's why it's important to organize, divide, and categorize your content accordingly. This will help your players better understand and play your game. This can be most easily achieved with a table of contents. A table of contents provides a quick overview of the game and keeps the most important content organized for easy reference. Additionally, it is important to bold and identify key terms and phrases within your rulebook. If this game identifies money as gold, then you should indicate that in the section when you talk about game resources. If your game scoring rubric exchanges money at a one-to-one ratio at the end of the game for victory points, then you should identify that information as well. Providing these insightful reminders throughout your rulebook in call-out boxes helps to highlight specific information for your players. This is particularly important for returning players who need a quick reference for the game in order to remember how to play. In the Year of the Dragon does this well by providing quick summaries throughout each stage of the rule's explanation. This is also important for cross-referencing information about your game. If players' movement around the board is influenced by how much money or victory points they currently have, then it's important to point players towards the information on player movement when talking about money or victory points. Finally, new games are beginning to part out sections of the rulebook for players in order to get them playing quickly. Root does a great job at this by including a quick start guide in addition to their full rulebook for the game. The quick start guide includes basic information in order to begin playing the game immediately, whereas rules questions for specific cases with more robust descriptions are left to the full rulebook. Ultimately, a rulebook is supposed to serve as an agent of the player experience. Players will come to your game to play it, not to read the rules. Of course, there are a subset of players that will come to games and happily dive into rulebooks for their description and structure. However, most players will pick up the rulebook to learn how to play the game and nothing more. Whereas other players will skim the rulebook for reminders and refreshers if a significant amount of time has passed since their last session. The goal as the designer when writing their rulebook is to find a style that works for the majority of your players and stick to that style. This is mostly informed by the type of game that you have. Is it a light party game? You want your rulebook to be clean, simple, and straightforward. Have a Euro? Then you can afford to dive into the nuances of the player roles, abilities, and actions. Many games will find a home in between those two extremes. Because of this, it helps to know there are generally three player types who will read your rules. First-time players may be first-time board gamers or first-time players of your game. In either case, you want your rules to be thorough, clean, and approachable. These players need to learn from the ground up how to play your game, even if they may not have played other games like it before. The intermediate player, on the other hand, wants to read your rules as a reference point for how your game plays and operates. These are players who may have already played your game or others like it before and need a summary for how your game is similar and how it is different from what they remember or expect. Lastly, there are the expert players. These are players with a very diversified palette of games. They've read and played a wide swath of different games and may even be designers themselves. These players will carefully review the rulebook looking for typos, loopholes, or otherwise edge cases that the previous two kinds of players may have missed. Regardless of the type of player you are writing for, it's helpful to always write your rules in the most simple, clear, and concise way you can. You can always expand on certain rules and specific cases in other parts of your rulebook. However, remember that ultimately your rules are there to serve the player. You can do this by writing simple descriptions in active voice. This method conveys information quickly and easily. For example, instead of saying the player takes the board out of the box, say, take the board out of the box. In addition, write in short sentences with straightforward language. This helps if the instructions are read aloud to a group of players. It is also useful to define how terms are used within your rulebook. Different players may interpret the terms may and must differently compared to everyday language. May provides the option for players to take an action, whereas must requires players to do something. Instead, choose stronger words to convey this meaning, such as optional and mandatory. Innocent words can have different interpretations depending on your readers. Likewise, phrases like either or should be more properly defined in order to avoid confusion. One of the easiest ways to do this is to state it is mandatory for a player to take one and only one of the following two actions on their turn. This is a more straightforward way of conveying an either or statement using simpler language. Following these steps provides you with a rulebook that is easy to use for new players while answering the questions decisively for intermediate and advanced players. Just like your game, your rulebook should be tested. Often this is done at the latest stages of playtesting when players are given rulebooks and allowed to teach and play the game without any help from the designer. In addition, you may also ask someone else to read your rules and explain them back to you in order to confirm that the correct outcome has been achieved. Observing how other readers and players interpret and take action based on your words is irreplaceable. The more input that you can get from others, the better. Ideally, your players should also be able to play your game right after finishing the rulebook. A quick and clean start from the end of the rules demonstrates that players were able to interpret and act on your instructions. The rulebook is supposed to serve the widest possible audience. A consequence of that means that you'll often have to overlook certain edge cases that may not come about too often through gameplay. A common mistake with these edge cases is bike-shedding or spending an inordinate amount of time to wrestle with small details that won't affect the majority of players' gameplay. This doesn't mean that you should ignore edge cases. Rather, these should be collected in the appendix or other area at the end of your rulebook for reference if they are needed. Taking game testing notes accommodates for these edge cases that might come up during gameplay. For example, a rulebook could include information on how players can move their player pieces in your game. There could be many ways that a player can legally move their piece. As such, you should spend time explaining how that can be done and leave other edge cases or infrequent occurrences to your appendix. Some game designers try to create rules with a minimal amount of these edge cases or scenarios. This is a challenging design practice. However, many game rules are often written in tension. This means that they may contradict each other or require a specific state in the game in order for those rules to apply. If these rules come up often, then it's okay to include them in your basic rulebook. However, if there are only certain situations that arise on a regular basis, then you should consider listing these in the appendix of your rules. In the occurrence that a rule is so specific to an uncommon scenario that it requires its own dedicated section, then consider getting rid of it. The requirement of dedicating so much of your precious rulebook space to accommodating this very infrequent scenario means that eliminating the circumstances in which it may arise may be the best move to take. We often think of rulebooks for just tabletop games, but rulebooks also serve a wider purpose for educating our players for how to play our game to the best of their abilities. Games-based learning includes using existing games to help students achieve their educational goals. Rulebooks have the educational goal of bringing players up to speed on how to play the games easily, and painlessly as possible. Because of this, it's best to turn to other educators, teachers, instructors, and professors for the best way to lay out your rulebook content. They often have incisive advice on how to provide information with the right context, brevity, and scope to help your readers. Remember, rulebooks are instructional materials, first and foremost. They're there to serve and instruct your players. Do them service by using your rulebook as a gateway to learning. Lastly, Here are some specific action steps that you can take in order to make sure that your rulebook is the best it can be to serve your players. Use board game-specific terminology whenever possible. This includes commonly understood phrases like boards and cards. You can also include more industry-specific terms like meeples or chits. However, when identifying these terms, make sure that you clearly associate the component with what they look like in the game. Avoid using unspecific pronouns when referring to players. Past rulebooks commonly refer to players in the masculine third person, often through the use of he, him, and his pronouns. Rulebooks should strive to be more inclusive pronouns, as well as more gender-neutral pronouns. It's best to use these terms, they or them, when identifying players in the game in order to satisfy the widest possible audience. Make sure that you adhere to appropriate tone during your rules explanation third-person active voice is the best form to use. This means that you should use explanations that begin with each player takes their individual player boards instead of the starting player will take one player board for all players playing the game. Then the starting player will distribute all player boards to the rest of the players. Make sure that your rulebook is formatted consistently. Use appropriate headings, font sizes, bold, italics, underlining color goes a long way towards making a block of text more easily readable. For quality assurance, make sure that you print out your rulebook and read it aloud. I've spent years writing and often think that I can complete all my edits on my computer screen. However, nothing really beats a final edit on printed paper being read aloud. Typos, voice, and punctuation mistakes often come to light when reviewing your work this way. For a more sustainable approach to editing, consider formatting your document as a PDF and using an app like GoodNotes to review your rulebook on a tablet to replicate that paper feel. It's best practice to list critical information redundantly throughout your rulebook. If your game has phases or stages that are broken down even further with individual turns, then identify the phase names, stage names throughout your rules explanation. This is especially important if scenarios in your game have to be resolved in a particular order. Finally, take into account the reader's experience reviewing your rulebook. Paragraphs in the middle of your rules are more likely to be skimmed over compared to paragraphs at the beginning or end. That means that the most critical information should be stated at the beginning and end of your rules. Striving to get the most vital rules into these locations is the best practice. This episode reviewed game rulebooks in depth. It covered the purpose of your rulebook, striking a balance, and the process of writing and revising. The structure of the rulebook was covered from different sections, including statistical information, components, theme, overview, setup, core loop, and game end. Remember, the way that you organize the contents of your rulebook is important for informing the player experience. Your voice and how you write your rulebook is as important as testing it out with your players. Finally, edge cases, applications of rulebooks for games-based learning, and action steps for writing your rulebook were covered in detail. I hope you found this episode useful. If you'd like to learn more, then a great place to start is with my free course on gamification. You can sign up for it at universityxp.com gamification. You can also get a full transcript of this episode, including links to references in the description or show notes. Thanks for joining me. Again, I'm your host, Dave Vang, from Gamespace Learning by University XP. On Experience Points, we explore different ways we can learn from games. If you like this episode, please consider commenting, sharing, and subscribing. Subscribing is absolutely free and ensures that you'll get the next episode of Experience Points delivered directly to you. I'd also love it if you took some time to rate the show. I live to lift others with learning. So if you found this episode useful, consider sharing it with someone who could also benefit. Also, make sure to visit UniversityXP online at universityxp.com. UniversityXP is also on Twitter at university underscore XP and on Facebook and LinkedIn as UniversityXP. Also, feel free to email me anytime. My email address is dave at universityxp.com. Game on.